Hi there. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 11 of Fire Away, Rodner Law's online show focused on the employment law issues that matter to you. My name is Brittany Taylor. I am an employment lawyer, partner at Rudner Law, and your host of this episode of Fire Away once again. Fire Away streams live online every month, and if you missed an episode or want to watch one again, they are always available on our YouTube channel, Facebook page, and on our website. Today, I'm joined by a familiar face, Rudner Law Associate Jeffrey Lowe. Together, we're going to be tackling some TikTok workplace trends and buzzwords you may be familiar with and debunking or explaining them from an employment law perspective. We're also going to be taking a look at some often misunderstood employment law terms and clarifying those for you, too. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's get into it. Jeff, thanks so much for being on the show with me today. Absolutely. Good to be here. Excellent. Now, Jeff, I got to be honest with you. I don't have a TikTok account. <laughs> I do know what a TikTok is. I've yeah. been informed by yeah, uh, my younger brothers what a TikTok is. <laughs> neither do I. I. I see TikToks when they breach containment of TikTok and wind up on Instagram or on Reddit. That's, <laughs> that's where pretty I much, see them too. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. So I figure if it's important enough to make it to the front page of Reddit or to an Instagram reel, then I'm going to pay attention to it. And Excellent. luckily enough, all the topics we're going to talk about today have in fact breached the containment field and have made their way into the uh, the zeitgeist. Absolutely, absolutely. And some of these terms I had heard of before, but I, I thought what was really fun is that some of them I'd actually never heard of before we started prepping for, for today's show. So I'm really interested to know which uh, which of these terms our viewers have heard of before. Um, and they might even be able to suggest some other terms that we, we haven't uh, identified here that we can talk about in future episodes, which would be really fun. So let's jump right in to our first term of the day, uh, which is uh, one of my favorite terms, just in the way it's phrased. It's called bare minimum Mondays. Bare minimum Mondays, everybody. I really like this term. Jeff, why don't you explain for us and uh, the audience today, what does this term mean? What is it referring to? Absolutely. So luckily it is Tuesday, so I am not having to stick to this rule. So bare minimum Monday is a trend that encourages workers to do the minimum amount required amount of work on Mondays. Um, it's not just a clever name. It actually is tied to the date. Um, by lowering their expectations, uh, workers can feel less anxious about the pending day of work on Monday, uh, the so-called Sunday scaries, and feel less overwhelmed on, on Monday mornings. Um, this is similar to quiet quitting, which we're going to talk about in a second. Um, this encourages employees to make time for their own self-care in a corporate world focused on productivity and the bottom line above all else. Um, this is going to typically take the form of uh, workers focusing primarily on the minimum requirements of the job. Um, this can include you know, not focus, not having meetings scheduled for the first two hours of the day, not taking phone calls, not responding to emails, or even something more expansive than that in terms of, you know, focusing on the creative aspects of your job and just sitting at your desk and thinking about what you're going to do for the week ahead. Um, essentially, the term that I like to hear, I've heard about this that I really like is it's the least amount of something that is still allowable. Um, Brittany, what do you think about this from an employment law perspective? Oh, good question, Jeff. Um, I think this one is really interesting because it's 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 not actually a negative term from my perspective. In fact, I think it can lead to uh, mental health benefits for for workers, as you were saying. Those Sunday scaries are are a real thing, <laughs> uh, and I think anything that workers can do to assist them to 
avoid those and to instead of being apprehensive but feel maybe even excited about the coming work week is probably a good thing. Um, but we do have employers, of course, who are legitimately concerned about this. They're concerned whenever they hear any phrases that involve the idea of doing the absolute bare minimum or the least amount that is possibly required in order to still get the job done. Um, but this is going to be something that's going to be challenging for employers to address because by definition, people are still doing their job, just maybe not at the pace <laughs> that an employer would like. Uh, maybe they're not as tuned in or they're not as invested as the employer would like. But this term only works if the bare minimum is getting done, right? So the job is still being accomplished. So what we generally say to our clients who have concerns about employee engagement, um, who are hearing terminology like this perhaps thrown around in the workplace, is that as long as the employee is still getting the job done, particularly in a period where we've got high turnover, turnover, um, high reports of, of mental health issues, of burnout being an issue, again, as long as they're getting the job done, this is likely not something to be hugely concerned about. Uh, one interesting thing that I have heard from clients is that this does seem to be more prevalent in a remote work environment. Um, when where employees have perhaps a little bit more freedom about how to structure their days um, so that they have the flexibility to create a schedule that's going to allow for this bare minimum Monday to actually take place. But it is possible to see how this could be done in an office environment as well. So so I don't want people, I don't want employers thinking about the, the topics that we're going to cover today, especially as something that is only a problem in a, a remote work environment uh, because that's not some that's just simply not the case there are ways to, to transfer this into an in-office environment as well i don't know if you had anything to add to that jeff in terms of what you think the employment law impacts are i not not really the the research i did for this um in advance was the uh i, I came across the phrase that's apparently used in china it's a uh, laying flat which is an interesting <laughs> concept as well and it's just getting by on the bare minimum and it seems to be just an ethos in general which kind of leads into the next thing we're going to talk about quite nicely, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and as you mentioned, this is kind of a related term or terms. And we've kind of combined two concepts here for the here for this next uh, these next terms that we're going to talk about. So the terms that we're going to talk about next are quiet quitting uh, and act your wage. And we've kind of lumped these together because they're basically talking about the same thing. So again, we see these terms used whenever we're finding that employers are picking up on an employee's lack of engagement or even psychological withdrawal from the employment or the, the work environment. And essentially, just like with bare minimum Mondays, the idea here is that the employee is going to be putting in the minimum amount of effort that's necessary to keep their job, continuing to carry out their duties, but they're not going the extra mile, right? They're not volunteering any extra effort. They're not volunteering for extra assignments. They're only doing the work that falls within their job description. So in other words, just as Jeff said earlier, with respect to bare minimum Mondays, this is the minimum requirement of one's job and putting no more time or effort or enthusiasm than is absolutely necessary in order to accomplish this. So this is pretty self-evident from the term itself. When we think about acting your wage, what people are describing is only doing the work that you're expressly being paid to do. Um, it can also mean only being as invested in or taking on as much responsibility as you're paid to do. So for example, one thing that we see a lot of online is if you're not being paid or recognized as a manager, 
don't take on managerial work. Don't take on the stress and burden of supervisory work if you're not going to be paid and recognized as a manager. So that's where this idea of act your wage comes from. Um, and, and quiet quitting is a term I think employers tend to use more rather than employees to describe themselves. But it's essentially describing this behavior where an employee is only doing the bare minimum. They're less willing to engage in activities known as um, citizenship behaviors. I love that term. So no more staying late, you know, not showing up early, not volunteering for tasks, not attending non-mandatory meetings. They're literally just doing what is required in order to get the job done. Now, uh, for those of you who remember this term, working to rule, this is a term that, that has been around for quite some time. And I see these new terms, quiet quitting, acting your wage, as just another version of this concept. So this is essentially a job action in which, as we've been describing, employees do more, no more than the minimum required by the rules of their contract or job and strictly follow only the rules that are going to be enforced. Um, this can often, when we're talking about it in the work to rule context, be a an organized response. Uh, so employees getting together and deciding that they're all, they're all going to behave in this manner um, in response to working conditions, particularly where strikes are not available. So in non-unionized environments, we see this happening. Um, but it's interesting that that working to rule concept has been around for quite some time, but we see these kind of new evolutions, or rather, I would say new packaging of of the same concept, right? New branding, <laughs> new branding for the same type of concepts that we've we've definitely been dealing with uh, for for years and years and years. As long as there's been workers, I think we've been dealing with these types of concepts. So, Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about from your perspective what the employment law impacts are of something like this? Yeah, absolutely. It's essentially everybody becomes Peter Gibbons from Office Space and just working hard <laughs> enough to not get fired. Um, it, it again, it's as you said, it's difficult to address because employees are still ostensibly doing their jobs. They're still carrying out all the tasks that are required of them. Um, they're just not going above and beyond and doing work that they're not, you know, assigned to do and not being paid to do. Um, this can have a negative impact long term uh, on the organization in terms of, um, you know, the ability to recruit good talent and to keep people around. If you have low employee engagement, it's going to manifest itself in a bunch of different ways, none of which are going to be terribly you know, beneficial for the organization. Um, from an employer's perspective, they can consider uh, whether or not there are things they can do to increase employee engagement. Um, you know, are, is there understaffing or people being asked to do much, too, too much work? Um, are they being underpaid given the rest of the market? Is there another reason why employees are simply laying flat? And there may or not be ways to think that fix this, and it may or may not be in the employer's incentive to expend the extra resources in terms of being able to fix this. Because sometimes employers just simply want a warm body in the seat, you know, and showing up can be 90% of the battle some of the time. Um, from an employer's perspective, that may be all they need. I like the concept though that it's rebranding. It's like how nature's evolved the crab independently like five times. <laughs> and it's the same thing that all these kids on TikTok have all figured this out. And exactly. Old union hands are saying we've been doing that for fifty years. Yeah, exactly, so. exactly. But it's been it's been repackaged for the TikTok generation. Yeah, I think you make a really good point though, uh, from the perspective of of why should an employer be concerned about this? Because it, it, like you pointed out, if the job is getting done, if the work is getting done, then that may not be the concern. But there may still be a broader concern that needs to be addressed here if you've got really low employee engagement. I mean, that that's certainly something that you might 
if the if you want to be an employer of choice, if you want to be able to attract good talent, if you want to retain workers, you don't want to risk losing workers and have a high turnover rate. Um, this might be something that you do want to explore as as to is there something that we can do to improve employee engagement and reduce uh, the uh, bare minimum Mondays that are ne- that employees might feel are necessary to get through their work week. Uh, so I think that's a really interesting point uh, for for employers to consider for sure. So let's move on and talk about our next term. There's a lot of like quiet behavior. There's a lot of like I'm quietly doing something. I notice as we're going through these terms. So the the next ones are quiet hiring and quiet firing. So Jeff, why don't you walk us through what those are? Absolutely. There's a the few terms we're going to talk about here. So quiet firing is the management practice in which a manager or supervisor tries to subtly encourage an employee to quit their job, and this can take a number of different kinds of behavior. Um, this can be done by assigning an employee undesirable work, reducing their hours, or depriving them of opportunities to advance. Uh, it could also be something as simple as failing to provide coaching, support, or career development to the employee, which makes them want to leave the organization because they realize that, you know, that ascension path they were on previously has been de- being denied to them. Uh, quite hiring. Um, is where the employer tries to leverage an employee an ex- employee's existing skills to avoid having to make an external hire um, by assigning a, an employee additional tasks and duties outside of their existing role. There's also a further concept called quiet cutting, which does not appear to have made its way to TikTok yet. I found it in an article on the U- in the UK um, where the employer reassigns the employer rather than simply dismissing them, so assigns them to a different place. The common thread, in addition to these all being quiet, uh, is that all of them involve uh, the employer making changes to the employee's terms and conditions of employment. Um, Brittany, does this ring any bells from your perspective, from an employment <laughs> perspective? Absolutely, it does, Jeff. So whenever we're talking about unilateral changes to the terms and conditions of an employee's employment, the phrase that I would like all of our listeners to think about is constructive dismissal, because that's really what we're potentially talking about here, right? Um, and and it's it's it it's unfortunate for employers who are attempting these tactics because generally they're doing it to try to save costs, right? If they are trying to encourage an employee to resign, it's generally because they're trying to avoid paying the severance fees that or costs that would arise as a result of the dismissal. Um, if they're trying to quiet hire or push more work onto an employee, they're trying to avoid bringing on another person at that stage. So generally, the motivation here is not malicious. It's it's to save money. Um, but you can actually end up costing your organization more money in the long run by engaging in these practices if your conduct goes so far as to constitute a constructive dismissal. So again, a constructive dismissal from a legal perspective is uh, something that occurs when an employer makes a unilateral change, a substantial change to a fundamental or core term or condition of employment. Um, So this can be really obvious things such as reducing an employee's salary, demoting them, taking away benefits, um, you know, giving them, like Jess said, less desirable work uh, that's outside the scope of their job description, especially. It can also include piling on work onto them. So giving them a whole bunch of new duties that they did not previously have, especially if there's no corresponding increase in compensation to reflect the new work. Um, it can also just include ignoring employees. Like we we have seen constructive dismissal cases arise in circumstances where an employee is just basically frozen out. So they're being excluded from meetings. Um, they're not being given any meaningful work. They're perhaps being subjected to some bullying in the workplace. That can also lead to a finding of constructive dismissal. 
Now, where a constructive dismissal argument is successfully made, essentially the consequence is that the employee is entitled to reasonable notice of termination as if it was a without cause dismissal. So the employer is in the same situation they were trying to avoid with the uh, quiet firing at the end of the day as a result of, of the constructive dismissal. Um, in some cases, the other thing that employers have to be concerned about is that there can actually be additional damages awarded on top of any uh, entitlement to notice the employee might have if a constructive dismissal claim is made out, where there are situations that would constitute a breach of an employee's duty of good faith, right? So if the constructive dismissal is arising in a situation where an employee has been mistreated, they have been frozen out, they've been subjected to harassment, um, other kind of bad faith conduct has occurred in the course of this process, it can actually result in additional damages, general damages, uh, on top of what an employee might otherwise be entitled to for notice. So it can actually end up costing the organization more money than it would have to just dismiss the employee and everybody part ways kind of amicably with, with you know, everything right up front and in the open. So those are the that's the biggest concern from a, a an employment law perspective when we're looking at these these two terms. And Jeff, have you seen a lot of this in your practice so far? Have you seen um, employers attempting this? Uh, I'm seeing a lot of uh, employers who are doing that kind of third option of you know cutting people out of development opportunities and people noticing. And it's it it's really. I don't want to say pervasive. I want to, it's it's really weird because people don't know that it's happening because they hear about it secondhand. And you know, w why weren't you at that meeting yes last week, or why weren't you involved in this mentorship opportunity? And they find out about it several weeks later, and it's always upsetting. Right. Um, and you know, it can be difficult to because you know, you're proving the uh, the absence of something as opposed to the existence of a negative. Um, right. I, I think as well from a from a higher level perspective, it's interesting to think of how quiet quitting and quiet firing are kind of a cyclical concept and kind of feed off each other. Uh, because, you know, quiet quitting, um, the employees are starting to not pick up the slack quite so much and not volunteer for additional work. And it may lead the employer to say, well, okay, these are really important tasks and they should have been part of your job description. So they start assigning these tasks to employees and employees just simply say, okay, I just, I don't want to do this. And they wind up either leaving or just laying flat and not doing anything. Um, and at the same time, you know, quiet, quiet hiring, you assign an employee a bunch of new tasks and the employee just simply doesn't want to do them and either leaves or simply refuses to do them or does the bare minimum and ceases to be engaged with the employer because they don't feel appreciated. Yeah, no, good point. You're like they, they, those two things can uh, feed off of each other and just create this endless cycle where nobody's happy. <laughs> yeah, which yeah, <laughs> is right. not ideal. <laughs> yeah. And All right. Doesn't do a great deal for employee engagement. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So let's talk about um, another term that that I had I had not heard of before actually, and I thought was hilarious when I <laughs> when I heard it is um, this term called rage applying. Um, which is quite, I don't know, I found it very amusing. But it's the, it's the idea that an employee gets extremely frustrated. Um, maybe something happens that day at work and they're just furious. And so they 
rage apply <laughs> in, in a fury. They decide to apply for as many jobs as possible in reaction to this kind of building frustration that they're experiencing uh, with the work environment. So this can arise from an employee suffering from burnout, boredom, or annoyance, though it's funny because I don't associate rage with burnout because if you're burnt out, you're too tired to feel <laughs> rage. So, but it's uh, but that's the concept is that essentially an employee is they're not applying to a job, I guess, for the regular reasons that we would expect an employee to apply for a new job. They're doing it out of anger and frustration. Uh, so that's what that's what rage applying is. So, Jeff, what do you think about the employment law impacts of something like this? I mean, I think it's the same as if you were applying for a job in the normal manner and it came back to the employer. I mean, if the fact that you're applying for a different job comes to your current employer's attention, uh, this may result in the employer terminating your employment. Um, I mean, remember that, and everybody should be cognizant of this if you've watched the show a couple of times. I'm sure Stewart's mentioned this a few times. He is the, the king of the cause dismissal, uh, the knowledge of cause dismissal, rather. Um, you know, an employer doesn't have to give a reason for when they're dismissing you on a without cause basis. So they're not going to necessarily assert cause because you've applied for a different job. But if it comes to your employer's attention that you are applying for different jobs, it's not going to be terribly endearing to you. It's not going to endear you to the employer, let's say. And it may result in the employer saying, OK, you want to leave so badly, then we're going to dismiss you. Um, the way to avoid this, obviously, is for an employee to apply for positions in confidence and that, that advises the employer, the potential new employer, that they are currently employed and they would prefer that that new employer doesn't contact their existing employer for a reference. Um, I have yet to see a, a cause dismissal that has occurred because it came to the employer's attention that the employee was applying for other jobs, but I mean, nobody's seen a black swan before either, so it'll <laughs> happen at some point. No, I mean, it's a, it's a good point. It, and, and I think it would depend a lot on the context of what we're talking about here, right? Like if you are, if you come out of a meeting and you're furious and you decide to apply for, you know, a hundred jobs on company time, that might be a different, different scenario than if you're getting home at the end of a long day and you're just absolutely fed up and you decide to spend your evening applying for jobs. There's, there's obviously nothing wrong with that. Um, and I would also note that it is not unusual at all for any employees who are who are watching this program. It's not unusual at all to ask the location where you are applying to not to contact your existing employer because you are a current employee there. So, so there's nothing weird or unusual no. about that. Um, and if a place tries to make you feel weird or unusual about that, that's probably a red flag that you, you want to be aware of, because that is a very, very common thing uh, that that uh, companies should be prepared to deal with if and when it arises. So that's interesting. Very, very interesting term, rage applying. <laughs> We've got a lot of anger, apparently. <laughs> right now <laughs> oh, it's, it's just it's the polar opposites it's either quiet quitting or rage right. there's no in between there's no there's just, no in between <laughs> uh, smashing pumpkins smiling politely kind of situation <laughs> nice all right let's talk about another term so this one i have heard of before uh this is called boomeranging so jeff do you want to tell us what this is so boomeranging at the basic concept is when an employee quits and returns to their previous employer. So they quit their existing role. They go out in the market. They try to find another job. Perhaps they do. And they realize that, you know, the grass was not, in fact, greener and return to their existing employer. Um, according to a March 2023 survey we came across, uh, nearly 20 percent of workers who quit their jobs during the pandemic have since returned to their existing employer. Um, 
I, 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 this wouldn't be me if I didn't make a Simpsons reference, but this is like that Simpsons episode where Homer <laughs> leaves the nuke plant and gets a job at the bowling alley and then has to go back to the nuke plant because he's, he's got a third kid on the way. And he, he applies and they say, are you a new applicant? He said, no, I worked here before. And they say over there and there's the door. It's a normal door that says applicants and then the, like a doggy door that says supplicants and he's got to crawl through it. <laughs> so it's essentially, again, Simpsons did it before. That's what it comes down of to. Of course. Of course they so, did. <laughs> so um, so uh, Simpsons aside, uh, what do you think from the employment law perspective, Britt? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's obviously frustrating and disruptive to have employees leaving and then returning again, right? This is not the ideal scenario for an employer, but it does have its, its advantages for, for both parties. So on the one hand, the employer doesn't need to worry about training or onboarding the way that they would with a brand new employee. You've got somebody coming back to your team who's already experienced um, and is aware of what the job is going to require, generally speaking. They're aware of your policies. They're aware of your procedures. They know how the org organization operates depending on how long they were with you before. Um, so those are all positive things. Uh, they also have now learned that the grass is not greener <laughs> on the other side, which is helpful and, and may improve any uh, I don't know concerns uh, or address any concerns that, that caused them to leave in the first place. So, so those are things that can be very positive. Um, and then from the employee's perspective, um, when they are returning to a place that they worked at before, it can have an impact on what their, their severance entitlements might might look like um, in the sense that they may be able to get their previous service recognized so that there is no gap, it, it, depending on how long they were away uh, to join the, the new employer. Now, depending on where an employee actually works, this could be something that's automatic, right? So here in Ontario, for example, the Employment Standards Act requires that an employer recognize all periods of service in calculating severance entitlements, um, including previous periods of employment. So in some cases, it might be automatic. Um, but in other cases, particularly from a common law perspective, it's probably something that an employee wants to negotiate. So if you are an employee who is returning back to a previous employer, um, this is something that you definitely want to look into asking for. Uh, and we could, of course, assist you with that. But highly recommend that you speak with an employment lawyer before signing anything to make sure that you're not giving, you're not leaving things on the table here. So those are my thoughts from an employment law perspective. I don't know if you have anything to add there, Jeff. I love that section of the ESA. <laughs> I know it's your it's favorite one section. Of, one, of my, one of my favorite tricks in the ESA. <laughs> That's great. All right, let's talk about another term. I think this is our last TikTok term, uh, which is proximity bias. And this actually is a relatively new term uh, from from my perspective. It's not something I heard a lot of before the pandemic. Uh, so essentially, what is proximity bias? It's this idea that employees who are working remotely may not have access to the same opportunities or benefits uh, or um, resources as employees who are not working from home. So as we know, the reason that we see this kind of originating around the time of the pandemic is that this did force many workers to move to a home office environment. Um, in some cases, employers have called workers back to the office, um, some full-time, some on a hybrid model, and other employers have stayed entirely remote or allowed certain workers to stay entirely remote, uh, particularly those workers who did not want to return if the employer wanted to retain them. 
in some cases, we've seen exceptions be made for those individuals to allow them to to remain working in kind of that home office environment. Now, as much as as employers who operate these kind of hybrid work environments say that no matter where you're working, the same advantages, the same opportunities apply to everybody. This term arises from employees who feel like that's not the case, that because they are not there in person, they are being uh, skipped over, not noticed, not heard uh, from from the employment perspective. So, Jeff, what are your thoughts on terms of the employment law impact on on employees who feel that there might be this proximity bias? I mean, at a certain point, the employee can contact the employer and ask if they can be included in more things or maybe propose a hybrid return to work situation um, or even a full time return to work situation if they feel strongly enough about it. Um, This has typically been studied from the employer's perspective for employers who want to call employees back to the office after a work from home situation has been initiated. And the concern that we always express is that depending on how long the employee has been working from home, and the arrangements that were in place when the employee was initially permitted to work from home, if the employer simply just calls the employee back to the office, the employer the employer may be constructively dismissing that employee because the work from home aspect has con- now constituted a fundamental term or condition of the employee's employment. Um, this obviously isn't going to apply if the employee is the one approaching the employer and requesting to come back to work because an employee, to the best of my knowledge, cannot constructively dismiss themselves if they're asking <laughs> for the changes to be made. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's all going to come down to essentially what the paperwork was and what the employee wants and what the employer wants at the end of the day. Yeah, fair enough. And this is kind of a brave new world that we're navigating here, right? The, we've never, I don't think we've ever had so many employers um, operating work environments that that look different than than what they did uh, pre-pandemic, right? We are, it's not uh, the norm anymore to have everybody together in an office building, right? And have the the one person working at home be the exception. Um, You know, a lot of workplaces just don't look like that anymore. We're we're looking at kind of uh, new arrangements that, uh, that were not in place before. So these are things that employers and employees are having to having to deal with. And TikTok is teaching us all about the new terms that are being used to describe these concerns. That's right. So shockingly, we are at 2.30 already, which is, I don't know how this happened. We were clearly having way too much fun. Um, But before we go, I think it would be helpful to describe one or two terms um, that are commonly misunderstood in the employment context. So Jeff, really quickly, one that I hear the most often that still causes a lot of confusion for people is the term severance. So can you help us really quickly understand what does the term severance mean from an employment law perspective? Absolutely. Severance is the term that uh, people typically use as a catch-all to describe what they receive from an employer on dismissal. Um, It is not, in fact, that. It is a defined term in two employment law statutes in the country. One is the Employment Standards Act. The other is the Canada Labor Code. And to the best of my knowledge, no other province provides for this. This is the only payment that an employee may receive on dismissal that is literally recognition for long years of service and is not intended as a bridge to their next gig. So it is literally intended as a windfall to a certain extent. Under the Employment Standards Act, where two conditions are met, the employee is going to be entitled to severance pay. And this is where the employee has worked for the employer for more than five years, inclusive of previous lengths of service, as Brittany was just uh, advising us, and where the employer has a global payroll of more than two and a half million dollars. And to impress your friends at Christmas this year, you can tell them that prior to 2021 with the divisional court decision in um, Hawks and Max 
Acher, I believe it's pronounced, um, this was only the Ontario payroll and now it's the global payroll. So if you have an employer that essentially, if anybody recognizes their name, it's probably going to be a severance employer. The employee is going to be entitled to a week per year of service, week of pay per year of service to a maximum of 26 weeks. Um, and this has to be provided as a lump sum payment. It cannot be provided as pay in lieu of notice or working notice. It is literally just you know provided to the employee as payment. Under the Canada Labor Code, if you've worked there for more than a year, there's no employer qualification. You're entitled to two days per year of service, compl uh, completed year of service with a minimum of five days. And there's no maximum on this one as well. And it's just literally two year, two days per year of service is a lump sum. Um, and it is crucial to not get the terms notice and severance pay confused. And Brittany, why don't you tell us what, what pay in lieu of notice is? Thanks, Jeff. Yes. And this this is one that I still see a lot of confusion around, uh, which is this idea because it does it sounds self-explanatory, right? Pay in lieu of notice. But you would be surprised how often people assume that this just means pay in lieu of base salary. Um, the reality is that by default, an employee is entitled to all compensation and benefits that they would have otherwise earned during the notice period. So unless the employer and the employee have agreed otherwise, that is going to be the default that applies. So this is not just base salary. When we're talking about pay in lieu of notice, we're also talking about other compensation elements, including bonuses, RSP matching, pension contributions, car allowances, even vesting of equity. Um, all of these things are part of a compensation package. Uh, the easiest way to think about this is what I like to say to employees is that when you're thinking about pay in lieu of notice, ask yourself, what would you have received if you were given working notice for that same period of time? If you were still there, if you were working out the notice period, what would you have received? That will give you an idea about the broad scope of pay in lieu of notice because they should be equivalent in value, again, unless there's an agreement between the employer and an employee that expressly said, expressly, very key, expressly says otherwise. And um, that language is going to be um, heavily scrutinized by our courts as we've seen from recent decisions. So those are two common employment law terms that we still frequently see being misunderstood. So you got a little TikTok and you got a little standard employment law terminology worked out for you today on today's episode. So I hope everybody enjoyed. And Jeff, thank you so much for, for joining us. I think the, um, the key takeaway from all of this is that before you do anything, whether you're an employee or an employer, before firing somebody, before accepting an offer, before resigning, you always want to get legal advice from an employment lawyer. So yeah. let's let's leave you with that for 2023. Take that energy into 2024. <laughs> Speak with your employment lawyer <laughs> before you do anything. <laughs> We're friendly. We we promise. <laughs> we are. We are. We hardly ever bite. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jeff. I really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, that's a wrap for Season 6, Episode 11 of Fire Away. Thank you to everyone for tuning in, and thanks again to Jeff for joining me today. Past episodes can be found on YouTube, on our website, and archived on Facebook. And if you like our page or subscribe to our channel, you will receive notifications when the episodes are live. Our next episode, which is also the final episode of this season, Season 6, will be airing on January 16th. At Rudner Law, we want people to treat their employment relationships as legal relationships and make informed decisions rather than assumptions. I invite you to keep up to date on employment law issues by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and TikTok, liking our Facebook page, and subscribing to our YouTube channel, and of course, subscribing to our newsletter. But as we always say, none of that replaces legal advice tailored to your specific circumstances. 
If you think you need an employment lawyer, you probably do. So please feel free to reach out to us. Thanks to Rob, Rebecca, and Mark for helping put the show together. And on behalf of the whole Rudner Law team, we want to wish everyone a happy holidays and a happy new year. We'll see you next time.